My name is Ken McGuire. This is the Ken on Food podcast, which essentially is a podcast all about food. you're doing well thank you very much for taking the time out to to listen to the podcast to take a download uh, and find out what's happening in the world of food we're in very uh very interesting very strange times at the moment uh COVID-19 the coronavirus pandemic with a firm grip on things around the world particularly uh, in Ireland where we've just heard uh, in the last week or so, we've had uh, a roadmap published by the Irish government which outlines how and when uh, cafes and restaurants and hotels and pubs uh, can look at reopening. If you're curious, uh, there's a post on the blog. You can check out kenonfood.com for your guide on, on where your favourite eateries or when your favourite eateries uh, are going to reopen. Essentially, we're looking at a, a phased system uh, starting from the 18th of May and rolling roughly every three weeks with cafes and restaurants in a limited capacity uh, looking at being able to open in the summertime from from June onwards uh, hotels again with a limited capacity from from July onwards uh, and then exploring options on pubs uh, from the 10th of August onwards uh, though there there are talks that are ongoing that might get that happening a little bit uh, earlier but you can keep an eye on what's happening on the blog uh, it's kenonfood.com to matters podcast related and to matters uh, chats uh, for this edition of the podcast uh, i want to do uh, a little bit of a crossover so in november last year uh, myself and andy murphy and marina murphy and, and shane o'connor we've been working on another podcast uh, called your podcast it's presented by an, and recorded out of urban gym which is a, a boutique gym facility in new ross in county wexford and once a month we release an episode that uh, focuses on a, a person, a sports personality, a business or a topic. It's a conversation with somebody who is really at the, the top of their field. We want to see what their story is, how they got to where they are now. And uh, we have a conversation. We kick the tires. We open the door with a question or two and see what happens over the course of an hour. Uh, so between November and, and now, we've we've spoken with uh, business owners in Wexford. We've got f- uh, former international rugby players. Uh, we've spoken. Pat Ively joined us uh, for a chat about uh, his process through through food and wellness and coaching in recent weeks. Uh, last weekend, uh, we've spoken with uh, Justin Buckles, who's a, an elite MMA coach, uh, and find out what he's doing in California. But this weekend gone, uh, we had a super conversation with Dr. Alan Desmond. Now, Dr. Alan Desmond, uh, I, who you'll, you'll find as Dr. Alan Desmond on, on Instagram, Alan is a, a consultant gastroenterologist who's originally from Cork, and is uh, known in, in some circles as the Devon Gut Doctor. Anybody who follows what happens with the Happy Pear uh, may recognise Alan's name from coming up with their the Happy Pear's Happy Gut course. So over the course of 80 minutes, we talk to Alan uh, about uh, gut health and primarily about a whole foods plant-based approach to nutrition and diet and really kind of getting into you know what makes your 
gut tick how and why gut health uh, is so important looking at different aspects of of uh, kind of western diet and and eastern diet uh, studies that that alan has has done and been involved with uh, what he sees when he deals with uh, patients on um on a kind of a day-to-day basis in in the clinic and in the hospital, uh, and and ultimately what he's dealing with in in today's in today's world as well. Uh, but it's a super interesting talk. If you've got any passing interest in uh, the medical side of food and the scientific side of food, uh, it's self-care or an interest in in the food that goes into your body. You may find this uh, a bit of an eye opener. I know I did, which is why I want to share. It to you and share it with you uh, on this podcast and it also gives you a chance to find out what it is that we're up to with your podcast so if you're interested more from your podcast you can check out your podcast uh, on spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, anywhere that you get uh, a good podcast these days you can find out what's happening and the the gym side of things it's urbangym.ie and you can find out what's happening with with alan as well in in his world and his, his instagram account is a great one as well it's full of recipes and full of photos but it's full of the, the facts and the science uh, behind things as well. I'm by no means uh, whole food, plant-based in my approach to diet. I've just pulled a large roast bacon loin out of the oven. I have eggs coming out of my ears in the kitchen these days. I'm very much uh, a meat eater, uh, but I'm open to suggestion and I'm open to trying new things and for me this is a really cool conversation just to have with somebody about food and about health and about well-being and about feeling good in a time where we probably need to feel a little bit better about ourselves. So without any further ado uh, take a listen to this it's the full podcast and full recording as it happened uh, again you can subscribe to your podcast uh, on any good podcast platform or keep an ear out on the Ken on Food side of things. We'll be back with more food chats and chefs and everything else. And of course, if you'd like to get in touch yourself, it's Ken at KenOnFood.com. For the moment, though, while this is episode 23 of Ken on Food, this was episode 8 of your podcast featuring Dr. Alan Desmond, Andy Murphy, and myself. Enjoy. Live from Urban Gym, it's not just any podcast, this is your podcast. It's your podcast. It's episode eight. Uh, it's a bank holiday. Uh, it's a bank holiday special as well, which is which is great. We've we've just released the Justin Buckles uh, podcast, uh, so to to get uh, an extra one so soon is brilliant. Uh, it's uh, myself, Ken McGuire, Andy Murphy is there. You'll see him in a second in his lovely fresh white top uh, at home. There he is. Look at him on the screen. And today we are joined uh, by Doctor Alan Desmond. I think this is the first time we've had a doctor. Uh, on the show as well uh, uh also known as the devon gut doctor which i had to do up uh, a little bit of looking about andy was uh bringing me up to speed on your involvement on the the medical side of things in the uk uh, and of course with the the happy gut 
course that's running with the, the happy pair there as well. Um, so uh, how are you? How are, how are things, Alan? You're very welcome. To I'm the show, great, Ken. You. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And Andy, thanks very much. Um, really pr- privileged to be here. I'm delighted to be the, the first doctor on the podcast. That's a, that's a real privilege. <laughs> It's a, it's a, it's a good start for us. How are uh, on on the medical side, uh, Alan? Bef- before we, because we're we're gonna we're gonna look at the at the food side of things and and plant based yeah. and and uh, a lot of things down that line. But on on the medical side of things, we are in uh we are in a, a time in in history where there ha- I I don't think I've ever in my lifetime I don't think I've ever seen as much focus. Uh, on what is happening in in the medical world. Uh, you are somebody who's very on on that kind of front line uh i've no reading your instagram account that your your gastroenterology ward has become a covid ward what is what's your world looking like at at the minute well i I suppose just like everybody it might everything's just changed you know so um thanks for having me on to talk about the benefits of a you know a plant-based diet etc but um at the end of the day i'm a, a medical doctor working on the ward as well um so I'm from Cork. I did all my training in Ireland, uh, Cork, Dublin, Oxford, and then um, moved over to live in the southwest of England because I married a lovely young lady from the southwest of England. So I've been living and working here since 2012. Now, so I'm a gastroenterologist. I work in the NHS predominantly, about 80 to 90% of my work. But since the coronavirus um, outbreak, obviously, um, like everybody else, we've had to make huge changes. Um, I would usually take care of an inpatient ward with maybe 20 patients with various gut health problems like colitis, Crohn's disease, various forms of cancer, cirrhosis, all that sort of thing would be sort of my bread and butter day to day. Um, But to cope with the coronavirus outbreak, we had to turn certain wards into, into dedicated coronavirus wards and, you know, as well as having to kind of flex to care for the specific needs of someone with coronavirus, um, which is difficult. We also had to change the physical setup, just just like you're seeing in shops and things around the place as well, I guess. Um, We had to put up new doors. We had to put in a a room where you could put on your PPE and take off your PPE. We had to set up systems whereby people could be swabbed and whereby staff could have showers and change their clothes on the ward and you know implement social distancing on the wards and all that sort of thing so it's been it's been a strange and difficult time i mean internationally globally we've had more than two and a half million cases more than two hundred thousand deaths i think ireland has done has done well to keep the deaths i think thus far to around the, the thousand mark you know the uh the lockdown certainly working um here in the in my own local scene um in the southwest of england because we've got you know a lower population density around here um, the lockdown's working. Um, the we haven't been overwhelmed. We've had a it's it's been a very very busy and stressful period. Um, but right now the number of patients coming in with COVID has kind of you know it's not stopped but it's reduced to a very manageable level. Um, those people are often still very very sick and very very unwell. We've got some really um, sad and heartbreaking cases on the ward. But at the moment, just from the volume of work coping with it it seems to be manageable but i think just like everybody else can we are you know faced with huge uncertainty it's a new infection a new virus um we'll be looking soon at relaxing the lockdown i know in, um, in ireland there were some announcements made yesterday about dialing things down a little bit 
Um, but inevitably, when that happens, the number of cases will increase. So, and, you know, there's a lot of experts out there trying to make predictions. There's nobody really knows what's going to happen. Um, so we've got to be kind of ready for the unexpected. Okay. Uh, outside of the, the COVID side of things, uh, can you explain to people what it is that a gastroenterologist is and does and what, what your focus is on? Because this is going to lead us down our, our kind of conversation. Yeah, so I'm a gut health, gut health doctor. Um, so I'll see people who've got digestive health problems. So that could be anything from acid heartburn to weight loss to digestive symptoms to bloating, you know, a bad tummy, poor digestive health, etc. So I help people to figure out if there's something wrong and help them to get better. And I do a lot of um, diagnostic endoscopy as well, camera tests, to look inside people's bodies to see if there's anything going wrong. And you can learn a lot from doing that procedure. You can, you know, in gastroenterology, I guess one of the things that attracted me into it is, so someone comes to see me and I think they've got a problem with their stomach. Well, I can give them a little bit of sedation. I've got this little slim tube that I can pass down deep inside their body. And I can look at the actual organ that I'm treating in real time. And just, you know, incredibly, um, we make a lot of our diagnosis uh, in gastroenterology just using our two eyes. We go in, we have a look, we go, ah, okay, I know what that is. That stomach has got, you know, an ulcer or a cancer or helicobacter or, you know, an, or, or another problem like celiac disease. So it's really fun. That's what, one of the things that really drew me into gastroenterology was the fact, you know, you meet a person, you hear their story. And the story for me is always the most important thing in trying to make a diagnosis. And then you can guide them through a process where you go through the investigations. You get to, you get to see what their insides look like. <laughs> you know, it's a bit nerdy, a bit, a bit icky, but, but, you know, from a medical professional perspective, there's not a lot of specialties where you get to do that. And then you help them to get better. And I mean, very early in my career, um, I qualified in medicine at a UCC in 2001 and kind of started my practice. I did a year in Australia, then I worked in Cork University Hospital, and I got very interested in gastroenterology really early on in my career. And it just, it, well, first of all, it occurred to me like how important food is to people anyway. You know, we wake up in the morning, we think about breakfast, then we're planning lunch. If there's a special occasion, a birthday, a wedding, an anniversary, or a funeral, there's a meal to be had. We've got national dishes, they define our nationality. So if you've got a problem, uh, with your digestive system, it can be really devastating because you may not be able to enjoy food. You may not be able to sit down and have a meal with people. You are worried about, is there anything you should eat or you shouldn't eat? And that question comes up every single time. So, you know, I remember back in 2000, gosh, it was 2003, this one particularly young man uh, who was on the ward. He was about 19 years old. He had a condition called Crohn's disease, where you've got sections of your bowel that are inflamed and sore and he was on a lot of medication and there was a chance he was going to need surgery for that. And we had him on a lot of medication for a few days. And he was getting better to the point where he could eat again. And he said, well, you know, is there anything I should eat or I shouldn't eat? And every single patient since then has asked me this. Because I hear that every single time, no matter what the condition, you tell them the name of the condition, how it's treated, you tell them about surgery, procedures, medications what it's going to be like in 10 years, what it's going to be like in five years. And every single patient can says, is there anything I should eat? Is there anything I shouldn't eat? And they want to know, is there anything they should eat or they shouldn't eat, you know, today, so they feel better today. But for a lot of these long-term conditions that people are going to be living with for a long time, 
They want to know, is there anything I should eat or I shouldn't eat? Kind of improve my outlook while hopefully need fewer medications or hopefully I won't need surgery and hopefully I can get back on track and get back to you know normal quality life. It's it's something uh, yeah, the way you've described the gastroenterology side of things is is very much uh, akin to like and Andy makes the the reference uh, a lot about the the kind of the the mechanic side of things. So you get to see inside the car, you get to see the fuel that's that's driving your body. Andy, you're you're a big advocate for that the the right kind of fuel for the for the lifestyle that you want to lead. Totally, yeah. Um, I I always I do always talk about this. I always say about like you know at the end of the day. I know the analogy about your body is like a car. Like obviously, the, the body's far more complex than a car. But at the end of the day, if you want to, if you want your car to run right, you have to fuel it right. So for us, well, me as an athlete or former athlete, and then also people coming into the gym to do workouts on the daily, you want to be fueled right so that it can perform the task at hand well. You know, you don't want to be getting you know, sugar high, sugar lows, and then you know, I always talk about even now as a parent to two young kids. I just really value feeling good. Um, I don't really, I've talked about alcohol and things like that as well. I don't, I don't really drink at all anymore. Um, obviously, I got to know Alan through meeting him at a Rich Roll uh, event a number of years back. It was awesome meeting Alan. From there then, just continued to follow Alan. And just, I'm always fascinated by what Alan puts up in terms of his um, content. There's so much, like, so much scientific research behind stuff. And, I just now, having gone through my own injury nightmare, I just value feeling well. And as Alan so rightly said there, I can totally understand many of his patients. Just, you know, when they start to feel well, I can totally understand them asking him, you know, what should I eat? Because I just want to feel good. When you feel good, you really value it, especially when you've felt so bad for maybe a long time or you've been in such a serious state, like maybe that young patient at 19 years of age. Um, mm-hmm. And then, like you said, so many other people who probably see you on the daily. So, yeah, it's something I try and pass on to people in the gym as well. Um, just how important food is for us and, you know, what fuels us then as well, you know. Is there a common answer? Uh, like when people are asking you, is there something that I should be eating and is there something I not I should not be eating? Uh, well, there is really, I mean, the, so, I, I mean, for me, it was a long journey, you know, over, you know, I, I mean, I graduated medical, went into medical school in 95, graduated 2001, I didn't become a consultant in 2012, and I didn't take, you know, I didn't take any long way around, you know, that's just how long it takes, it's a long journey, um, but over the time specializing in gastroenterology, I wanted to give people the evidence-based answers to those specific questions, and for me, it started very focused on people with certain conditions like Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis now affect, you know, maybe one, 300 people in this part of the world. They're really, really common. And when we look at these kind of chronic diseases like bones and colitis and heart disease and obesity and type 2 diabetes, um, these conditions that we view as really common and inevitable, I mean, for example, like thing I, the things I specialize in, diverticular disease, Crohn's disease, colitis, colon cancer, you probably know someone who's been affected by at least one of those conditions. They're so common. We, we view them as being normal. And similarly, when we look at obesity and heart disease and type 2 diabetes, they're so common now that we just view them as being a normal part of the aging process. I mean, for, for heart disease, for example, 
you might reasonably expect, given your experience growing up in Ireland, that in your 40s, you'll get high cholesterol. And in your 50s, you might get a pain in your chest and then you'll get a stent in your heart. And then in your 70s, you'll get a heart attack and you'll die. And that's just a part of getting old. That's how it goes for a lot of people. And, you know, 17 million people die every year because of heart disease. And more, more, maybe even more importantly than that, you might argue, there's millions and millions and millions of more people who are on long-term medication and they can't live their life to their full, their full potential because of these chronic diseases. But the, the thing is, is that there's people in the world who don't get those chronic diseases. And although those chronic diseases are somewhat led by your genetics, when we look at these things individually, diet and lifestyle are far, far more important. And it's a long, long story with a lot of medical journals and a lot of reading. But ultimately, when my patients ask me, what should I eat and what shouldn't I eat? First rule is whole food. No junk food. No, you know, whatever, no Pop-Tarts, no shop-bought biscuits and pastries, um, crisps and toffee bars and all that sort of stuff. The clues in the name, Ken, junk, <laughs> junk food, okay? So these ultra-processed foods, if you want to make an ultra-processed food, you take out all the good stuff and you add in some bad stuff to make it taste good and so it's shelf-stable. Think about the difference between a Pop-Tart, say an apple Pop-Tart and an apple. That's the difference between a whole food and a processed food, okay? What, how do you turn an apple into an apple Pop-Tart? You take out all the fiber, you cook out all the phytonutrients, you add in sugar, salt, you add in preservatives, you add in chemicals so it feels creamy and tasty in your mouth, and then you wrap it up in plastic and you put it on the shelf. Don't want people eating that stuff. I would rather they ate whole foods all the time. And that's incredibly important. Sadly, Ken, in this part of the world, we get 55% of our calories from ultra-processed foods. And they are, not only do they individually exert harmful effects, because they're high in sugar, high in salt, high in preservatives, high in fat, high in oil, etc. We're also missing out an opportunity to eat something healthier that's going to benefit us. So if you've got a choice between the apple, Pop-Tart and the apple, if you choose the apple, you're getting vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin E, you get fiber, you get phytonutrients, you know, you're getting all this benefit. And if you take that approach to your food all the time, the benefits just stack up, stack up, stack up. You become a healthier person, okay? That's rule number one, whole food. Second rule is predominantly or completely plant-based. Not a controversial statement. Um, maybe it was a few years ago, but right now we live in a world where the World Health Organization, the Lancet, the, you know, the American Cardiology Association, the American Association for, of, uh, for Treating Type 2 Diabetes, where all of these organizations agree on one thing, eat more fruit and veg, eat more um, plant sources of protein. You know, a couple of years ago, a few years ago, I think now, the Lancet Medical Journal, which is one of the biggest, most prestigious medical journals in the world, been around for centuries. They, um, well, more than one century. So they set, they set, every now and then they set up a commission of experts to go out and answer like a really difficult question. So they set up a commission a couple of years ago to answer probably the biggest question face, facing civilization right now, 
Uh, and I think it's even more important now during the COVID pandemic. We can talk about that later if you want. Why it's more important? But what should we eat? Was the big question. So they had 40 experts, doctors, you know, agriculture experts, because the food has to be produced as well, um, epidemiologists. They looked at decades of evidence and they came up with a roadmap for what we should eat. And they had to make a roadmap, kind of a blueprint for, you know, the nearly 10 billion people who now live in the world. The 720 million people who can't get enough food. The three and a half billion people who are eating far too many calories and are suffering that form of malnutrition. And they came up with a blueprint that they called the Planetary Health Plate. So if anyone wants to Google East Lancet Planetary Health Plate, they'll see this, this kind of pie chart. And they said the optimal diet for a healthy human being should be half fruit and vegetables, quarter whole grains, and the remainder, the remaining quarter, should be coming from high quality plant sources of protein, your beans, nuts, legumes, etc. And they also included optionally modest amounts of animal protein. And there's good reasons why they're recommending plants over animals. Animals. And when that report came out, I thought, well, this is fantastic because this is what I've been asking my patients with health problems to do for years. So where where does that where does that put us with our with our like mental fascination with with meats? So if 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 the advice is that we should be eating more plant based mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, I'm the, and for years, I'm the kind of guy, and my wife will give out to me, like, yards over the whole thing. It's like, you need to be eating more, like, she's, she's vegetarian. She's now, she's now following a, she's now following a, a a vegan diet. She's removed dairy and she's removed eggs and she's removed other bits and bobs. We're, we're, we're testing things in the background. But uh, me, I've, I've been, I've been a meat eater. And yep. I will, I will primarily go. Do you know what? God, I must, I must pick up some chicken. I must pick up some beef. I must do this. Yep. I feel like I have to have meat in the fridge, and that is, that. and that is my source of protein. I'll feel better about myself if I eat chicken. I will feel better about myself if I stick in not, not an awful lot of red meat. A little bit of red meat in there. I'll do some turkey. I'll do some pork. I'll do something else. Yep. Why do you? Why do you think that we're driven we're driven that way as opposed to driven towards a plant-based diet? Well, it's it's our food culture. You see, if you grew up in a country where people where everybody eats a vegetarian diet, you would be com- perfectly comfortable with a vegetarian diet. If you grew up in a family where everyone ate a whole food plant-based diet, you would regard that as food. So I don't think there's any innate human drive really to consume, you know, a certain style of eating. But the fact is, Ken, you know, the, um, the, the standard American, standard Western, standard British, standard Irish diet, standard Australian diet, whatever you want to call it, is very far removed from the diets of the healthiest people in the world. Um, so, you know, in, in the US, they consume 100 kilograms of meat per person per year. In Ireland and the UK, that figure is probably close to kind of 75 or 80 kilos of meat per person per year. If we look at the healthiest people in the world who have the lowest rates of heart disease, type 2 diabetes, obesity, heart disease, the people who live longer and healthier lives, they're healthier in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and they are less likely to die before their time, for example, um, they don't, they just, they aren't eating a whole food plant-based or plant-predominant diet. 
Now, if you look at a plate of their food, it looks really different to a plate of what we regard as a standard meal around these parts. You know, I do a presentation for health professionals where I talk about some of these areas, uh, these really healthy populations in the world that were identified by a chap called Dan Butner almost 20 years ago now, when he was sent out by the National Geographic magazine to do this big project to find the healthiest people in the world. And he worked with doctors and demographers and epidemiologists. And it took them like four or five years to identify these little pockets scattered all around the world where people were living really long and healthy lives with very low rates of the conditions that we would regard as inevitable in this part of the world, like certain cancers and breast cancer, prostate cancer, obesity, and all those things we mentioned. So they found um, these populations that scattered around the world in different locations. There's one in the US, there was a Korea in Greece, there was Okinawa in Japan, uh, the Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica, and I'm sure I'm forgetting one, there was one, I think, in Sardinia as well. Is that five? Possibly. <laughs> I, think, I, I, think, I think I might have hit all five. But so for example, if you look at the um, Okinawans, okay, they're living, this was a very particular group of people living a traditional life in Okinawa. We know that food is the number one determinant of human health and longevity, okay? And when you looked at those people, they were living at the longest disease-free life expectancy ever recorded in the world. Now, they had a lot of characteristics that set them up for success. Um, they had very good um, family structures. They were very close to their family. Old folks lived in you know, multi-generational households. Um, their lives were not easy. They had to get up and move. If they wanted some food, they got to, had to go to the garden and get that food. They didn't have supermarkets or anything like that. They had a strong sense of purpose and a strong sense of faith, etc. But I want to know what are they eating because that is so important. What were they fueling themselves with? And they were eating a whole food plant-based diet. In fact, they were only consuming about 3% of the calories from animal products because they would only eat them for religious festivals. And then so that's all the way over in Okinawa, Japan. And if you look at a traditional Okinawan meal, this is a meal enjoyed by one of the longest and healthiest living populations in the world. You'll see things like, you know, um, you'll see like miso, seaweed, and rice, and veg. And it looks very different. It looks like, you know, it looks like a different sort of meal to us entirely. Because sadly enough, Ken, in this part of the world, as I said, 55% of calories come from ultra-processed food. So I'm afraid a Big Mac and chips and cola is, is almost a traditional meal in this part of the world right now. And sadly, since um, Dan Buhner's team did all their fascinating work, that food culture arrived in Okinawa. And those traditional, long-lived people who lived really healthy lives in their 90s and beyond they're, they're, sort of, they're dying off now. The new generation of Okinawans who eat a standard Western diet, who value um, as a marker of status of having a steak and having a big chicken breast on the plate, they are developing the same problems that we have in this part of the world. And that blue zone is disappearing. One of the other blue zones he identified was over in the United States, Loma Linda, California. So amazingly, right in like, the minute, right, right in the country that we all regard as like the epitome of poor health, right? Huge obesity rates, rates of type 2 diabetes in the US. One in 10 adults has type 2 diabetes. 40% uh, of adults are obese. Still a really healthy population hidden away in Loma Linda, California, among the Seventh-day Adventists. So the Seventh-day Adventists 
um, very similar to the traditional Okinawans. Good sense of faith, good sense of family, put a great value on healthy living. They don't tend to drink, they don't tend to smoke, they get regular exercise. What are they eating? Well, for religious reasons, they eat a vegetarian diet. Amongst the Adventists who do eat meat, they eat very little, just about 50 grams per day compared to about 180 to 200 grams a day in this part of the world. Um, about half of them are vegetarian, about one in eight are completely plant-based. And again, the lowest rates of obesity, type 2 diabetes, heart disease, prostate cancer, breast cancer, colorectal cancer in the United States. And when you look at the Adventists, because some of them do eat a little bit of meat, some of them do have fish, and some of them don't have either, they just live on the plants. When, as you take out the animal products, they just get healthy. So we live in this world where we think that a meal isn't complete without a big piece of chicken or a big piece of fish or a nice big juicy steak, and then we build everything around it. The people in the healthiest populations of the world don't eat like that. And sadly, Ken, the proof is there to see. That's not how we eat. That's not how we live. We don't live in the healthiest place in the world. You know, in, in Western Europe, Ireland, the UK, in the US, Australia, etc., in these high-income countries where we've bought into this culture where it's all about the ultra-processed, quick and easy food, and where it's all about, you know, big juicy steaks and big pieces of chicken on the plate every day. We have really high rates of these chronic diseases. I'm starting to reconsider what I had for my dinner before we sat down. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, you've uh, you've made that transition to to a plant-based diet. Yeah. Uh, what was it? Was it a conscious decision? Well, you know, over my whole career, I've been researching answers for my patients, and I was, you know, bit by bit by bit by bit, my advice to my patients evolved to the point where I was really, you know, in you know, in in in, in a nutshell thing, whole food, plant-based, you know, the more whole food and the more plant-based, the better. And it just came to a point really, Ken, where I couldn't um, be advocating this without walking the talk, you know. So about, I guess, about three and a half or four years ago, um, I just said, well, that's it, you know, um, I'm, 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 just, I'm just making the change. Do you, just, miss, do you miss uh, anything from it? I don't know. Um, I think for the first few weeks, um, and I'm sure you'd be the same, if you made the change for the first few weeks, I, w I had to kind of, you know, rejig a little bit. And I was thinking, well, usually on this plate, now I'd have some kind of meat on the side. So what do I put there instead? So I'd go out and get like, you know, like a plant-based sausages or a plant-based steak or something like that. Now, those foods are often fairly processed in themselves, uh, with a few exceptions, things like tempeh and tofu aren't very processed, really healthy foods. So for maybe for a few weeks, I would have those sorts of things. But it was just... Um, uh, it just became a kind of a, a process whereby with time, I realized that I just didn't need those meat substitutes either. And you don't. I mean, you, you mentioned protein earlier, right? So where do you get your protein? Andy, where do you get your protein? Mainly from beans, chickpeas, black beans, uh, kidney beans. I mean, from tofu now uh, a lot. And then the other time, I'm looking at a bit of seitan as well, you know, for dogs. Yeah, so, so you get your protein from food is what you're telling me. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Me too, right? So, so that's the fallacy, Ken. I mean, you, so when you sit down to, to um, your dinner, you say, okay, look, I'm a fit guy. You know, I, I want to make sure I've got my protein here. 
so where's the protein on your plate? I mean, I'll give you examples. So for, because I was thinking about this earlier today. So for breakfast this morning, um, I had a kind of an overnight smoothie thing, right? Which I just make all the time. Really, really yummy. It's um, basically, it's coffee, oat milk, 50 grams of oats, 50 grams of cashew nuts, and a banana. Put a pinch of cinnamon in there too, right? Blitz it all up in the morning. It's yummy. It, you know, if, if you've ever been a fan of like, you know, coffee flavored protein shakes or whatever, or those sort, it, it tastes kind of like that. Full of oats and yumminess, right? So how many grams of protein are in there? No. It's just nuts and bananas and oats. There's 15, 15 or 17 grams of protein in that. Okay. Now I've been having that for a long time and I know it fills me up. It makes me feel good. It's got that little caffeine in it. I'm a big coffee fan myself. But I never really thought about how much protein is in it. Um, but there's 15 grams. If you, um, you know, so, so uh, I mean, you know, for a physically active uh, chap uh, like yourself or Andy, you know, you might need to consume about 2,500 calories uh, per day. So I'm not recommending you do this. But if tomorrow and you decided, right, that, that, Alan Desmond fellow is onto something. <laughs> I'm making a change, but I don't know. I don't know what to do. I tell you what I'll do. I'll just have plain lentils all day. I just go all in. All I'm having is lentils. And you've got your two and a half thousand calories of lentils for the day. You'd get about 200 grams of uh, protein in there. 200 grams. Um, you know, if you're for a sedentary male, about 75 kilos, you probably need about 50 or 60 grams. Now, if you're a high performance athlete like Andy there, or yourself, you, you, you could argue you might need more, you might need 80 or 90 grams, you might need more than that again. But just if you just had lentils all day long, noon, morning to bedtime, and you had all your calories, you have 200 grams of protein. And then the following day, you said, okay, I've had enough of lentils, today I'm eating spinach. Nothing but spinach. Because I know, because, you know, that Dr. Desmond fellow there said, eat your veg. So, Again, I'm not recommending you eat nothing but spinach, okay? But just, you know, just for a little hypothetical, you spend the entire day chewing your way through two and a half thousand calories of spinach. How much protein are you going to get? I have no idea. About 250 grams. Okay? So, I mean, I'm not suggesting you just have lentils and spinach all day. But if I sit down to a meal that's predominantly made with lentils or greens or nuts or legumes or chickpeas or beans, the protein is there. You know, so when, when you talk about quantity, the protein is there. A few years ago, they did a nice study in the US where they took a large group of um, healthy people, mostly middle-aged people. These weren't high-performance athletes. These just average people who were eating a healthy whole food plant-based diet. In fact, they did it um, among the Adventists that I mentioned earlier in Loma Linda, right? Um, so they eat a, they've got a really healthy approach to food anyway. Some of them eat meat, some of them don't. And they found that the meat eaters were getting an average of 71 grams of protein per day. Now, they, these weren't athletes, they weren't doing any protein shakes or anything like that. So the meat eaters were getting 71 grams per day. The vegans, if you want to call them that, were getting about 69 grams per day. The top 5% of those eating a plant-based diet, we're getting 100 grams per day. So the, the concept that there's only, I mean, where did you, where do you think the cow got the protein? You know, cows aren't out slamming protein shakes. You know, they're eating grass and weeds or whatever the hell else cows eat. 
you know? Where did the pig get his protein? So you can, you can just cut out the middle pig, get your protein nice and clean straight from the plant. And when you do that, you're serving it up with fiber and phytonutrients and folic acid and vitamin A and vitamin C and, and you know, uh, potassium and magnesium and all these things that your body will absolutely thrive on. You get your protein from a nice big chunk of beef, what are you getting? You're getting cholesterol, you get which you know increases risk of heart disease and stroke. You're getting it wrapped up with all the hormones and additives that you get from eating an animal, uh, particularly if that animal's been given certain food additives and things to make them bulkier and meatier so you can consume them. You're getting saturated fat, you're getting heme iron. When you cook it, you're generating these funky chemicals um, that actually increase your risk of getting cancer, you're increasing your risk of colorectal cancer, you're increasing your risk of heart disease. So where would you, where would you rather get your protein? I'm mildly terrified. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether I should go out now and see if there's a load of lentils in the fridge or in the back of the press. Oh, well, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure Andy will send you a few recipes afterwards, oh, Ken. I'd, I'd, I'd imagine so. Uh, Andy, uh, Andy, you, you made the, you've made the move to a plant-based diet and you you followed the urban gym instagram side of things and you follow you follow your own account uh you've been whacking out the the cooking and the recipes yourself and and marina and the lads as well um what 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 was your decision process in that was it was it hearing alan and meeting alan years ago was it was it working with the, the lads and the, the happy pair side of things was it just kind of i i need to improve my health i want to live longer i want to work smarter i want to pass advice on to my clients what what was your decision process if, if i'm honest i i'd be totally honest here. it was surely out of trauma it was um you know really like i, I tried everything I, I know some people maybe know the backstory when i was at Training in the States, and I came back, and within three weeks, I was at a training session in Dublin, and I just got rocked with, with bad, bad vertigo. And you know, I had rashes on my skin, um, breakouts, tightness in my chest, upper back, upper neck. And I was in a bad place for quite a while. I went to the doctor, and in, in my local doctor, let's just say, and you know, I guess it's sometimes the way it is over here, Alan, in, in the Western world, is that you know. A doctor often would just throw a pill at you, and you and I was that way inclined where I thought, okay, the doctor can give me a pill, I'm gonna be better. And this whole, you know, my brain fog, my dizziness, my tightness in my chest, my tightness in my upper back, you know, troubles with my bowels, and that would be healed. I thought that just look, give me whatever I need to take, and I'll be better. And I'll be back fighting in no no length of time. I'll I'll take out Bama thirty, but I'll be back for a fight in in August or September. You know, um, that didn't happen. Like, you know, I had numerous brain scans. I, I was at the ENT specialist. I was at the ENT specialist. I went to different doctors. Um, I had one doctor. It got to a breaking point for me when a doctor tried to uh, prescribe and, and tell me I had depression. And as an athlete and as someone who, you know, was very happy at the time in my job, I had a very good job, um, married to Marina, a happy wife. Uh, I just had Nathan at the time, fighting professionally, uh, don't drink. I didn't drink at the time, didn't smoke. And I was very active. And I had a doctor then tell me that I was depressed. And I was like, whoa, I was like, Jesus. And then 
obviously start doubts and like just am I depressed or whatever you know but at the time I was just in a very very bad place because I wasn't getting answers for what was wrong with me and you know sometimes we put certain people on a higher pedestal like you know we give power to obviously doctors because that's the way we've been brought up a lot of the time and um, kind of way maybe years ago you go to church and the priest is a higher power and you believe everything they say well, I knew something wasn't right because, you know, I've never been one to, what would you say, um, just make up an injury or this or that. The problem with my injury that I had was nobody externally could see what was going on with me internally. I still looked fit. I still looked healthy. My body composition was good. But I looked okay on the outside, but on the inside, I was at breaking point. And the only person that really got to see that at close quarters was my close family. and. Marina, who I obviously love to bits and is a massive part of my life and our gym. So it was at that point where, you know, you could take pills or whatever the doctor was giving you for depression or whatever, or you can say, well, affect this. No, I'm not depressed. There's something more here. And I just started really taking control of my own health uh, in the sense of, you know, obviously Dr. Chatterjee is someone I may have thought a little bit of. Just brought it back to basics, you know, um, sleep, uh, spending quality time with my family, trying to uh, switch off from external sources, um, trying to do a bit of meditation, visualization. And then the other side, which was massive, and I often describe it, food is medicine. So what we put into our body is either going to fuel us or it can make us nearly feel happy and well and full of energy, or it can make us feel pretty crap. Um, and I guess maybe... Obviously, I did become quite stressed because I was getting worried about what happens if this doesn't go away. I'm at the time I'm 34 now, but at the time I was 31 years of age on a crest of a wave, and then all of a sudden I was crashing. I was like, "What?" So trauma is what brought me to it. Now, I just value my health. I value feeling good. I value being able to get up in the morning. And I remember I was at my dad's. My dad. I'm very lucky. Very fortunate. My Father brought me over with our family to my dad's 60th birthday in Zakynthos. So all the family there, everyone's close to me was there. And I remember this was uh, six months in going through my trauma, let's just say. And I remember going to the toilet one night uh, in Diaz Bar, where all my family were there for my dad's 60th. And I just went into the bathroom. I just started crying because I was like, I should be in the happiest space right now with my loved ones. I'm in an island off Greece. Sun is shining. I'm there with my uh, my son, my one year old son. I'm there with my wife, my brother, my sister, their family, and I don't want to be here. And um, I was just like, I don't know what the hell's going on. And to be honest, I remember saying to myself then, I was like, you know, if I ever come out with this, I just want to do what I enjoy doing. And that's where we are now. It didn't happen overnight. I did change my diet. I went. I met Alan at a rich roll event with the happy pair, uh, Dave and Steve. And to be honest, I went to Rich Roll as well because I just started toying with, you know, plant-based type food uh, and changing my diet. And one thing I did start to notice over time was, you know, I wasn't getting dizzy anymore. I wasn't as stressed anymore. I wasn't as anxious anymore. I actually noticed, this will sound pretty sick now, but I was having quite a lot of trouble with my guts in the sense of like, I wasn't having solid stools, let's say. That sounds bad, doesn't it? You know, to maybe the the non-medical crew, but once I started eating a lot better, a lot healthier, I started to feel a lot better. Um, so I just value how I feel and how I feel is where it's at. Uh, so that's where I'm at. And I didn't, I 
it sounds selfish. I didn't get it. I didn't get into this to type of eating to save the world. Or I'm not. I'm not trying to tell everyone you have to eat the way that I eat. I just eat the way that I eat because I've been in a bad situation and I've been able to come out of that situation. I feel a lot better now. I feel a lot healthier now. Um, and I'm just in a happier place. So like, why change? If, if things are working and I'm feeling good, I'm feeling fit, I'm feeling healthy, I'm able to have a coffee now at Marina, I'm able to have a sit down here and conversation with you with a genuine smile on my face, not uptight and you know, I'm present here. Um, I value that a hell of a lot. So like that's, I know it's a long story, sorry, but that's how I got into it. And that's why I eat how I eat. And that's it really, like, you know. You know, it's a a theme that comes up at time and time again. And, you know, it's quite hard to quantify. Um, But, you know, outside of my own personal experience, I mean, I've been really lucky over the last few years to have a hand in helping um, well, probably at this point now, thousands of people to make the switch to a healthier plant-based or plant-predominant uh, way of eating. And the thing that comes, and you know, everybody has their own motivation. I mean, Andy alluded to it there, you know, it might be health, it might be they've, there's, they've had an illness in their family, maybe someone in their family had heart disease, colorectal cancer, and they want to reduce their risk. Maybe they just want to, you know, achieve a healthier body weight or or whatever, you know, or they might be coming out from an environmental angle or an animal rights angle, or all of which are valid. Um, but however they get there, one of the themes that comes up again and again um, is happiness. Just happiness. So, and it's hard to quantify that. It's hard to study on it. But there have been several studies. There was one very interesting one a few years ago when they were looking at using a plant-based diet to treat type 2 diabetes. And one of the really fascinating findings from that study was not only did the healthy whole food plant-based diet help to reverse people's diabetes and get them off medications, but the quality of life improvements that came alongside it were far in excess of what they saw when people were kind of put on a kind of a healthy omnivorous diet. And it's hard to quantify exactly why in the lots of theories out there, we could go through a few of them, but they're, you know, it's still a very uncertain area of medicine. But time and time again, people come back and say, geez, I feel happier, I feel brighter, I feel more optimistic. Um, so there's more work to be done from the scientific perspective. But, you know, when I hear Andy say that, I mean, it really, um, really rings true. Andy, have, have you, have, uh, how, how, long, how long has it been since you made that switch? Jeez, I'm 34, I'm 34 now, is it? Well, two, I think two, two years, Ken, two, two, two and a half years. Like I, I started, I was kind of still having a bit of fish and, and um, so I'm like, I'll do eggs. I think it was actually when I, we were at a Rich Roll event. I met you, Alan. And then, That's right. Yeah, it was a great, great evening, wasn't it? It was a super evening. And again, I meet a Rich Roll. I hadn't known much about it. Like, I, I'm not going to beat around the bush here. I'd only like listened to a couple of podcasts before going to that event, but I was still just, I, I like yourself, Alan, I was like, you know, I need to put myself into this position so that I can improve myself and my feelings. But two weeks later, we went to the same venue um, and there was a lady, I can't remember, I'm terrible now with names. I, I, I'm not was it uh, Michelle McMacken, I think? Is that right? Yes. From, from New York. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. So um, at the time, I was still eating um, eggs, and the eggs were a big part of the same. So when I was fighting, um, uh, so amateur career and even early pro career, 
I was eating my eggs every day for breakfast. And I remember saying to, to, to her afterwards in the Q&A that I was having like three eggs you know, for breakfast and every day practically. Because I'm a creature, I have it. Once I get into a structure, I'm very good for keeping, uh, keeping, uh, keeping structure, you know, training, nutrition, see, all that. But she gave me a look, kind of like the look that Ken then got there when you mentioned about uh, what the effects me can have. And if you just stay on the lentils, level, she looked at me and I was like, like looking at me as if I was going to die tomorrow because I've eaten so many eggs. So really, after that, that was I was like, right, okay, I'm going to make some changes now with the egg situation and even with the, the fish element as well. So that's when I really started to go a bit more deeper into this and started to read a few more books <laughs> and look at the benefits of things. And again, <coughs> following following your own, um, you know, Instagram, Facebook, and the way you. you do your nutritional advice, but you don't just put up a picture of your food. You actually explain what that food is doing for your body. You have research behind it. Um, and that's really where I started to notice big differences. Once I made those changes, um, I, I had the proof. The proof is in the pudding in terms of the reading behind it. Like, well, no, mm. this is going to help me. Like, you know, it was no, it was no quick fix. You know, I, as I said, I had certain doctors would, just fire a pill at you and say, you know, take that. I remember for Vertigo, uh, I was given a tablet. It was called Vertigon. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's good branding. That's yeah, really good branding. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I remember going to the ENT specialist, I think it was, ENG, where you get all the, the eye stuff done, whatever. And um, they asked me, was I on medication or anything? And I said, well, I was taking Vertigon. But uh, I actually found that that made me way more drowsy. Actually, I felt worse. Like I, I wasn't getting dizzy, but I felt like I was in like slow motion going around. And they said, the person said to me, and I remember it's clear as day. He said, it was like you by you taking that pill, it's like having a, a car and you have say four tires. One is deflated. He said by taking that pill, instead of inflating the tires, deflated. You're actually just deflating the other three. So you're like, like they're all flat. So basically, that was how. When they made that analogy, I was like, that makes a lot of sense because I wasn't getting dizzy, but I felt crap. So I actually took the decision before I went there. I just stopped taking it. I actually, how bad does this sound? I actually preferred feeling dizzy uh, than the way that the tablets were making me feel. So I knew I had to make a change. And that's, again, I just value my health. I value feeling good because I felt good. I, I'm fortunate. I'm 34. I've, I've been fortunate most of my life to feel exceptional but i had two years there where i was in in hell you know um and it was a slow process coming out of it. is is education a big part of it alan do you think i mean it, no usually i mean andy said some very nice things about the um posts that i put out on instagram and the, the thing i mean really the approach that i take with those kind of public posts is just putting out information you know i'm, I'm not um and I think it, I think it's important. I know. Look, everybody's fed up of seeing people taking pictures of their lunch and put it up on social media. But I think that's important too because it normalizes it. You say, look, here I'm sitting down. I'm having a plate of food here. It's made up of you know beans and greens and legumes and whole grains, and it's bloody delicious. And doesn't it look lovely? And I totally enjoyed it. And here's why I'm eating this because if I eat like this, I know that I'm taking agency over my own health. Um, and I always, you know, in, in nearly every single post, I will 
try and give a nice neat summary of some uh, medical evidence and I'll reference the paper. So if someone wants to go and read that paper, and I'm, I'm really glad now because like a lot of doctors and medical students read those posts and then they message me and they say, oh, can you send me the full paper? And, you know, I had a, a chap in Dublin recently who was working on a PhD um, in nutrition and he just and basically, it just said, Look, I'm going to use a lot of the stuff that you put out there. You know, can you send me all the papers? And I, was, I was absolutely delighted with that because, you know, he was kind of taking it to the next level, you know, and kind of putting all that information together. And really what I aim to do both, you know, in, in, when I'm you know, talking to you tonight, Ken, or even in my clinic or in anything that I put out there, um, I just want to give people information because information is power. I mean, I think a lot of doctors don't talk to their patients about the food that they're eating. In fact, I know they don't because I'll see people at my clinic who have got dreadful gut health problems. And by the time they come to see me at the specialist clinic, they've been to see their GP five or six times. They've been on three or four different pills. They've had a CAT scan, a colonoscopy, a CT scan. They've had God knows what, you know, like all of these. No, I'm not running these tests down. I mean, I perform these tests on myself. They've, they've got their place for sure. They're super important. But they'll come to see me and, none of, and they'll have all of those things done. They'll still be suffering. And nobody will have asked them a few simple questions about the food that they like to eat every day. We've got to join the dots because, you know, in a, in, in a food culture where we get about, you know, 12 or 13 grams of fiber per day, but 9% of our calories from fresh fruits and vegetables, where a lot of people don't really know what a whole grain is, even though we're supposed to be in quarter of our calories from whole grains. In, in that kind of culture, you, you can, you know, giving people that information is absolutely key. I mean, I, I often start with my patients just by saying, well, look, how many pieces of fruit do you eat every day? How many servings of veg do you eat every day? And how many servings of whole grains do you eat every day? And that's just the starting point. And, you know, I'll give them, I've got some resources on my clinic website. So if we identify a problem on those three basic points, I'll give them a little bit of homework and it might be brown rice, not white rice. Okay, a really good whole grain bread, not the white processed soft loaf. Or it might be, look, you, someone's taking a lot of dairy and said, I want you to quit dairy cold. I'll give them some resources about that. Then I'll see them back six weeks later and see how they got on with that change. And almost invariably, it's just really chinked the door open for them. Because they just see, good grief, I didn't know what a whole grain was a few months ago. Now I'm eating whole grains three times a, three times a day, and I feel better. The tummy factory is working a bit better. I've lost a bit of weight. I've got better energy. I think I might be sleeping a bit better. You know, the, the, the guys at the pub said I was looking well. They wanted to know what I was doing. And that just kind of opens the door. And, you know, then, it, then we kind of move on, you know. So can you stop having processed meat? You eat a lot of red meat. Could you move on to fish? Fish is healthier than red meat. Okay, you've done that. Now you're eating fish. Do you like beans? Why don't you eat more beans and less fish? And for some people, they will get there. They will get to a whole food plant-based diet. Not all my patients do. Many of them don't. Um, but definitely, in, particularly for people with long-term health issues, um, I see what the evidence suggests I ought to see. And that is the people who go all in, whole food, plant-based, tend to do better. When you say whole food, plant-based, from, from a use of language point of view, do, do you have a, have a difference between uh, what you define as whole food, plant-based, and what people will see as vegan? 
Well, whole food plant-based means getting half your calories from fresh fruits and vegetables, getting about a quarter of your calories from whole grains, and getting the, the remainder of your calories, about 25% of your calories, from plant-based sources of protein like beans, greens, or sorry, beans, legumes, nuts and seeds, and that sort of thing, uh, split peas, lentils, etc. So when I say whole food plant-based, that's what I mean. And when I talk to my patients about that, I will give them a chart that explains all that and point them towards resources. Is it okay to eat a little bit of meat? Well, if we look at the Lancet report from a couple of years ago, they suggested that for optimal health, you really need to look at reducing your intake of animal products. They're not essential. You don't need them. But if you are eating them, have a very close look at how much of them you're consuming. They suggested, I think, limiting your intake of red meat to about 50 grams per week. Again. So 50 grams per week is probably half the size of your mobile phone. Um, in terms of red meat. When it came to red meat, heart disease, and colon cancer, they said um, the safest amount of red meat to consume might be zero, but because it's hard to tell on the studies when you get down really low, it's very hard to show, show the difference in the study between not eating red meat and just eating a plain red meat. So they said, we're going to allow people to have maybe 50 grams a week, which would really mean eating red meat only once per week. When it came to eggs, they said, look, if you, yeah, eggs have protein in them, your body needs protein. We already talked a lot earlier about all these lovely, all the, where I get my protein, where Andy gets his protein, and why that's, an, why that's an advantageous way to get your protein. But there's a lot of people in the world who don't have access to, you know, beans and nuts and seeds and legumes, etc. There's a lot of people in the world who are trying to survive just on purely biting, you know, yam or sweet potato or cassava or something, they're in a low-income area that, you know, they're living with starvation. If you are unfortunate enough to be that person, you need to get some protein in your diet. If you don't have access to high-quality plant protein, then by all means have a couple of eggs because you'll get protein there. And they suggested in that situation you should eat about two eggs per week to get your protein, okay? Any more than that, you're doing more harm than good. To to bring it back, not not to not to go back to the to the beginning of, of where we were, but you you had mentioned when when you made the change, you had uh, you'd explored uh, a, a couple of substitutes, and I know I have uh, I have mates that have said, oh look, I'm going plant based and I'm going vegan and I'm going this and that. I got these deadly sausages. I got uh, I got these vegan chicken burgers. They taste like real yeah. chicken. I got this uh, yes. bacon flavored stuff that's not bacon. It's like why why are you going for things to replace what you 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 don't look for? Yeah, well, well, well First of all, I I don't. Um, first of all, I I don't. Um, I don't buy that argument that if you're eating plant-based bacon, you may as well eat bacon. I don't, I don't buy that argument at all because, first of all, bacon significantly increases risk of getting colorectal cancer, whereas plant-based bacon doesn't do that. So that's, that's a big win. Plus, if, if their motivation was on the basis of environmental impact or animal rights or any of those issues, then they've ticked all those boxes as well, hugely. So there's loads of reasons to eat plant-based bacon rather than meat-based bacon, if you want to call it that. But, in ter- but you're right, in terms of improving your health, your longevity, and reducing risk of various diseases, junk food vegans are healthier than junk food omnivores, okay? But who's healthier than both of them? People eating a whole food <laughs> plant-based diet, okay? So it, so it depends how healthy do you want to be, Ken. 
<laughs> yeah, okay. You fair enough. Left hook there, Ken. <laughs> well, you blocked the jab, you blocked the right, and then the, the hook. There. <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm kind of slightly bruised down here, just, just, just a little bit. See, I'm, I'm, I'm protected here because we've got all this uh, internet between us. You know, I, I, I might be so forthright by standing in front of you, Ken. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get we'll get an episode in the gym instead the next time. Yeah, 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 the exactly. Then we'll see who's bruised and battered. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you you referenced it earlier on as well, Alan. Uh, in in terms of uh, a whole food plant based diet and the importance of it today, as in now, as in what's going on now, we hear of uh, you know we've got people in in hospitals. We've we've got, we've touched on the the COVID side of things at, at the very start of the talk. Uh, a lot of the the buzzwords that we hear, or the 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 big buzzword and phrase that we hear on the on the nightly calls from NFET on the on the Irish side of things, are these mm. underlying conditions, and we hear of people mm. that have underlying conditions, and they they may be they may be any number of underlying conditions. You've you've listed uh, uh, plenty of them now at the at the start, but from 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 a, from a diet point of view, to to where we are right now what what are you what are you seeing in in terms of of links well well well, the first thing i'd say ken you know at at the moment in this coronavirus pandemic you know we we all thankfully people have really you know put their shoulder to the i'm I'm struggling for the analogy here but put their shoulder to the wheel or whatever they've really got involved and everybody's just making a really really concerted effort to keep themselves safe and keep everybody else safe and I mean, we all need to continue investing 90% of our effort in those, you know, simple things, staying at home, social distancing, distancing, washing our hands, being aware of what the current guidelines in our country and following them, the absolute team. Because right now, that's the only thing we've got to keep this thing in check and to prevent our health services from being overwhelmed. Absolutely. 90% of our effort needs to be there. I think the, this is also a great time to focus on your health. Sadly, um, when we look at the people who've been hospitalized with this condition, as you know, I mean, there's so many things that we don't know about this virus. And, you know, with time, the research will fill in those blanks for us. But what we know right now is that an awful lot of people can get this virus and it just passes through them, passes over them. Sadly, they can infect other people, but it doesn't seem to affect them. Some people get mild illness, some people get severe illness, and some people die from it. It's the minority of people die from it. But when we look at the people who are being hospitalized, the people who are doing very badly and passing away from it, um, age is a huge risk factor. So the older you are, sadly, most of the people I've cared for who've passed away have been elderly folk, and it's been very sad and very tragic. And you know, I, I don't want to minimize their loss or the loss of their families. Um, We've had some really, really heartbreaking cases of older folks, including, including, including a couple who both passed away within days of each other. But, you know, the age issue is a big issue there. But after that, it's about under, your underlying health. In the, in the, we looked at New York data, 60% of the young people who are hospitalized, who needed to be hospitalized due to coronavirus were obese. Okay, so they're obese, they're already unwell. 90% of the people who have died from this condition have at least on one underlying health problem, hypertension, type 2 diabetes, like cholesterol, heart disease, dementia, stroke, cancer, COPD. 
these conditions which we view as being inevitable in this part of the world, but they're not inevitable. They are you know, a marker in many ways of the diet and lifestyle that we maintain in, the, in higher income countries in the UK and Ireland. A few months ago, um, I was really, really lucky to be involved with this fantastic project. Uh, Stephen Day from Happy Pair and their mutual friends came over to the southwest of England. We launched this um, program for healthcare professionals here. So we had 100 health, well, 150 health professionals signed up, doctors, nurses, physios, dietitians, uh, with a few people from the voluntary health section as well, uh, sector as well. They were all regard themselves as pretty healthy. Most of them already knew what their blood pressure and cholesterol was. They all kind of ate a kind of a healthy version of the kind of standard diet. You know, they were all into cooking, not a lot of junk food, not a lot of processed food, but they were eating meat and processed meat regularly chicken and fish regularly these people weren't you know even on the verge of switching to a whole food plant-based diet until i got the opportunity to stand in front of them for an hour and a half told them all about it and then we had um steve and dave come in with their energy get them all excited about it so we got them all on a whole food plant-based diet for four weeks and what happened in four weeks what happened to these doctors and nurses and dietitians well, a third of them were obese or overweight at the start of the four weeks. Uh, that was, um, it was 36%. After four weeks, only 25% of them. Okay? So we'd taken people who'd been obese for all of their adult lives and we pushed them into the healthy body weight zone. Okay? Um, about 10% of them had high blood pressure. After four weeks, nobody had high blood pressure. About a third of them had high cholesterol. We, do, we won't get into the weeds on your bad cholesterol and your good cholesterol. So about a third of them had elevated bad cholesterol. After four weeks, there was only two people left in the group who had elevated bad cholesterol, and they were just above the number. We got almost everybody to a good cholesterol. So these conditions that we know pre-COVID, we already knew that these reduced your quality of life, sent you to the hospital, and took years off your life expectancy. We now know during the corona pandemic that they're even more sinister for some reason because these same conditions are driving people into the intensive care unit and into the coronavirus ward. And these conditions aren't inevitable. They're not permanent. And in many ways, they can be treated and reversed by a healthy diet and lifestyle. So I think right now, if I was sitting at home right now under lockdown, wondering what I can do for myself and my family, to, to kind of improve our odds of doing well in the next years, because sadly, Ken, coronavirus isn't going anywhere. It's going to be with us for a long time. What would I be doing? I'd be focusing on my underlying health. Do you see a reluctance from people to do it? Do you, do you think that it takes something like this or it takes uh, uh, somebody coming into you as a patient and saying, I have something wrong now I need to fix it. And they're only willing to, to kind of look at the diet side of things when something is going wrong. Well, I, I think in my clinical practice as a gastroenterologist, I mean, you know, everybody I see has got some form of a gut health issue. So, so the step from you're unwell to we can, change, we can help by changing your diet is very quick because, we're, you know, this is a problem they have around food and digestion, etc. So in those cases, it's usually, you know, the first question they'll ask you is, you know, have you got any evidence-based advice on food? And then we'll start. And I, I did mention earlier um, that I refer an awful lot of my patients to go through a program with the incredible dietitians who work with me. 
in my clinical practice. And they'll really go down the rabbit hole with people on food and spend hours and hours and hours educating them. But I think when you give people the information and, and you give them the science and you help to make it relatable, and when you show them the food or you tell them to go out and get yourself a cookbook, at my clinic, I'll, I'll write a prescription, I'll give you the pill, I'll send you for the scan, I'll prescribe the medication, I'll do all that, but I'll also talk to you about healthy eating. And if you're ready for that information, I've, you know, on my clinic website, I've got cookbooks listed, I've got the Happy Pair cookbook listed and a bunch of others. You don't even have to buy the book. All of these awesome, healthy plant-based chefs put all the recipes up on YouTube. They're all up there for free. Just go and experiment. You know, try some veggie options of old favorites. You like spag ball? Why don't you make spag ball with red lentils? See what that's like. Use exactly the same recipe, but do it with lentils and see how you feel afterwards. I tell you, you'll feel better. And I think if you can get people to that point, you're away with it because they're going to, you know, once they have the information, they've experienced it for themselves, there's no stopping them usually. You know, they're, they're away. After that, they'll come back into a few weeks later and they'll be, they'll be telling you, you know, about this awesome place they found where they sell this really lovely marinated tempeh, you know, and you're just like, you know. Uh, Ken, that story for me, all right, Alan. <laughs> but jokes aside, I know, I know uh, a lot of people see me do a lot of cooking and that, but like, since kind of going down the, the, the rabbit hole and kind of going into this type of eating, I've been way more creative. I do way more cooking now than, than I've ever done in my life. I think sometimes people look at me now, even you know, from the gym side of things, and think that I've always been a chef or something. But no, I've I've not always been this way. But I found once I started, um, and like you said, once I had the information, Alan, like once yeah. I started making curries and cormers, and like you said, they're a perfect example of the lentil bolognese. It tastes the exact same, if not better. And the other thing I do notice since I've been cooking, I use this analogy a lot, is that when I've cooked my own food and I go to rinse the plate at, after my meal, like it's practically clean. I, I've rinsed the plate and I don't need to, need to stick in the dishwasher, let's just say. Whereas before, I would have been having these sort of meals or whatever, uh, curries, or I like curries. I would have liked things like black bean sauces and all that um, mm. from Chinese and that, which is... And just the whole stuff will be really clumpy in that. And when I go to rinse that type of plate, it'll still be stuck on it. So, again, you're a doctor, so you know more about this than me. But I, I just visualize, like, okay, well, if this is sticking to the plate, then it's surely sticking to my insides. And if I'm rinsing this plate from, like, a lentil bolognese and it's just rinsing, then at least I know that, like, it's not getting clogged in my gut. I'm not going to have that horrible stitch pain or indigestion or whatever then as well. So... And another big thing is, yeah, I, I probably could have went down the weight class, Alan, in my fight career as a result of the, the foods that I'm eating. I'm walking around. I'm walking around now. I think um, last time I weighed myself, I think it was like 66 or 67 kilos. And that wasn't as a result of me trying to lose weight. I was like eating regularly with breakfast, lunch, uh, even meal, snack, normally around 11, snack at maybe 4 o'clock as well. And I'd often have a treat or something before bed. So... Like, but it's a, it's a great way to eat if you like food, Andy, as you know, because, yeah. I mean, all the, all of the, um, one of the things that we know about, you know, when you eat a whole food plant-based diet is the food is naturally nutrient-dense. And we talked about all those nutrients that you get in your plant-based options earlier, but it's also naturally less calorie-dense. Yeah. So, you know, the same big plate of food may not pack as many calories, 
So if you're someone who's looking to gain weight or if you just really like food and you don't want to gain weight, it's a great way to eat. I mean, to be quite honest, I eat constantly, you know. I, I, I mean, yeah, I, I just absolutely adore food. And, you know, the flavor is another big thing. People, you know, someone says, oh, you know, I couldn't go plant-based. I don't like broccoli. I say, how do you cook broccoli? I boil it in water, okay? If you took a piece of chicken and boiled it in water, you wouldn't like that either. <laughs> All right. So get some broccoli, toss it in some pesto, put some chili flakes on, stick it in the oven, wait to kind of just almost goes brown, take it out, let it cool down, and eat it, Ken. And you'd be like, broccoli, where have you been all my life? <laughs> you know? I, I'm drooling here at that. <laughs> But Andy, you you've brought it into the you've you, Alan had mentioned the family side of things. You've brought it into the family side of things as well. Like I see Nathan is there. He's he's on the videos. He's chucking in. How how does he find it, or does he know any different? Or this is exactly it. This is what Alan was saying earlier. It's kind of like, like I said earlier. I'm, I'm I've been blessed. I'm, I I have a really good family around me. I've always been surrounded, fortunate, by good people. So you know, even socioeconomic status, we talk about that. I'm a firm believer in, you know, if you surround yourself with good people, then you know what, you're going to do quite good. You're going to be raised uh, like how you would hope to be, like, you know, in terms of you, you'll, you'll do well in what you want to do if you surround yourself with people who are doing well in similar things. And I think it's the same with food, really. You know, obviously, you know, you, you, a lot of times you can go down, I'm sure you're the same, Ken, if you kill Kenny or whatever, you go downtown, you see McDonald's, you'll often see larger body types, let's I'm not saying everybody's large, but McDonald's. We all maybe had McDonald's before in the past, but you'll often see some of the more obese people outside of McDonald's where mommy's mommy and daddy and then the kids are having a big Mac and then there's like the, the kiddies meal and then that's just, you can see that having a treat every now and again is a bad thing. But if you find yourself constantly going there, then you're going down a bad path. And for me, with Nathan uh, and Brooke as well, they know no different. Like this is how they eat. Like you know, so as I said, like Nathan now is four, and Brooke is a year and a half. Like so, like Brooke is perfectly healthy. Thank God, touch wood, please God, please, she will stay healthy as well. Always, like you know, and Nathan is like you see him. He's full of life. He's full of energy. He's practically a mini me. He's just a lunatic. <laughs> you know, he's just a positive guy. Uh, but again, it's because he's surrounded by us. But the same with the food. He doesn't miss what he hasn't had, you know? So, like, when he eats, it's like, we, he'll have a curry with us. He'll have a chili. Like, we, like, I like a hot chili. And he'll, he'll often have that. He'll call it spicy. But he enjoys all of that. Uh, even tonight there, I made a, a, a super green smoothie just before he went to bed. And we were having a crack making it. I think we had a like, Nate dog was playing in the background a bit of rap music there. And he was bopping away. And we had, like, cucumbers thrown in there. There was um, a stick of celery, there was an avocado, there was a squeeze of lemon juice, we had a, 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 about a pinch of Himalayan salt, there was a, a, a teaspoon, say, of, of ground um, ginger, and we just blended a bit of coconut water, and we just blended it up, and the two of us said cheers, and he drank that, and he was off the bed happy as hell, you know? But, like, that's, again, like... You don't really, you don't miss what you've not necessarily. Andy, what a great thing! What a great thing! I mean, at this at this age, when your kids are like forming the habits that they got that are going to carry them through their lifetime, what what a great thing to be doing to kind of instilling in them a taste and the knowledge um, to kind of carry that forward and just to have those that healthier approach to food. We we know that kids who grow up eating a plant based diet 
are, you know, less likely to suffer from childhood obesity, um, you know, and, and a whole host of other issues, you know, um, less likely, you know, um, for, for young, young women, less likely to have, um, you know, premature puberty and all these sorts of issues that are so common now for kids. Um, we know that a healthy plant-based diet reduces their risk of all those things. And these kids grow up strong and healthy. Um, the same, people often ask me, because I speak at a lot of conferences and things, you know, I'll stand up and I'll talk about the benefits of healthy whole food plant-based diet. We'll talk about these really healthy populations and eat like that. And then I say, well, what about if I'm pregnant? Or what about if I'm 90? What if I'm 50? What about a 42-year-old single man? What about a 32-year-old marathon runner? What about a 19-year-old who's studying for their exams? Can they all eat a plant-based diet? It's the same thing. What's healthy for a human being is healthy for a human being at all stages. The American Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, the world's biggest professional body for registered dietitians, has said very clearly that a healthy plant-based diet, healthy at all stages of the human life cycle, and has health advantages at all stages. So what you're doing for your kids is incredible. Well, it, it's again the, the, the green smoothie, like you know, you might not eat an avocado if I put the avocado in front. That was blended in to the smoothie, and he just sees it. And there's a few ice cubes thrown in there to make it nice and cold. So he just loved it, like, and he wanted more. He said, "Can I have some more for breakfast? Can you save that? Can you put that in the fridge for breakfast?" The, the leftover bit that was in the, the bottom of the jar. But again, it's it's just because he sees what I eat. He's involved. Another big thing is you have seen this, Ken, too. A lot of time, Nathan just wants to do what I'm doing a lot of time. Like, you know, come and stand beside me when I'm cooking the dinner. And he's, what's dinner? What are we having today, Daddy? And they'll start wanting to, to chop. Now, I don't let him chop, obviously. He's only four years of age. But I'll chop and he'll pop the stuff into a blender or he might scoop stuff into the pan. And he feels involved. So even early, sometimes certain dishes he might not necessarily have liked. But once I've actually involved him in the cooking process of it, when I say, as you made that, you made that dinner today, Nathan, and then he'll all of a sudden decide that he likes it because he made it. So yeah, lovely. A sense of autonomy there, you know. And I think as a kid, I think any well, whatever about a kid, I think anybody when you tell someone they're doing well, you're gonna pat the back. Their chin and their chest, the chin raises up a little bit more, the chest is out a bit more proud, and you feel good. You feel and, and it's why I go back to why I eat the way I eat because I just want to feel good. So. I value that. I value feeling good over anything. You offer me, if you were to offer me, I don't know, 10 million back when I was feeling really, really sick, you said, right, and you can feel the way you feel right now, I'll give you 10 million, you can live the rest of your life feeling how you do now with 10 million. I, all I want to do is feel well. So that's where I'm at right now. And even now, during this whole COVID crisis, people are saying to me, Andy, you're, you're only open a year, and now you're in this unfortunate position where, you know, you're at home with the family all the time and the gym and you might not get to open again and this and that. And I'm like, well, look, I'm not on a ventilator. I'm not sick. My family are fit and well. I'm getting to spend some quality time with them. Please God, I get to open the gym. But if I don't, I, I don't. Like Life will, please God, go on for us. And having been in such a bad state before, I just value feeling well. And look, I think there's the old saying, you have to, like, there's that saying, like, you know, I had to make you uncomfortable, otherwise you never would have moved. And Ken, you know this from BJJ, the whole idea of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is you know, getting comfortable, being uncomfortable, and, and figuring the puzzle out how to get out of that uncomfortable position. So 
that's where I'm at right now. It's the same with the food signings. It's not Nathan. And like I said, not on a ventilator. Alan is working like so hard. Uh, you're seeing it on the front line. And then we're also getting to talk about like the benefits of our food and nutrition to help with our immunity then as well in terms of our immune system, strengthening our immune system. Our body, we only have one body, so like, I can't go and buy another. Like, you can go and buy a car when you run it into the ground. But if I if, if, if I told you, Ken, tomorrow, you can go and buy any car in the world, whatever car you want, right? But you can only have that car till the day that you die. That's the only car you can drive. So you can go pick whatever car you want in the world. You can only have that car. You can't bring it in. You can't replace it. I fucking bet my bottom dollar that you would probably clean it nearly every day. You make sure it's like, fueled right you have the right stuff in it and you play hoover and vacuum it out you make sure it's able to run all the time properly and efficiently and that's how i kind of look after my body now you know i'm 34 i'm not that old i'm not dead yet there's a lot more life left in me i just want to feel good you know i think that's a, a nice kind of natural way to bring things to a close for this evening um we 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 usually we usually we usually mic drop. <laughs> bang yeah mic drop nicely done andy we we usually do uh we usually do closing remarks alan uh, anything you'd like to to close out on well thanks for having me on eat more plants um go and go i'm sure andy will share some resources that you put on the show notes with this episode um you know the check me out on instagram it just put Dr. Alan, or just write Alan Desmond into a search on Instagram. You'll see this little smiley face guy wearing a blue scrubs. That's me, Dr. <laughs> Alan Desmond. So you can reach out to me there. Um, but yeah, just try it. I mean, what have you got to lose? What have you got to lose? Just try it for a week, try it for two weeks, see how you feel. And I, I think you'll be awake, Ken. <laughs> it's all on me now. Right? It's all on you. It's, so it's all on you, Ken. It's right now. Andy, how about you? Any any last remarks? Uh, no, I, I just, uh, again, for me, on a personal level, Alan, uh, is just from the moment I met him at uh, that Bear Rich Roll uh, a number of years back, uh, just a genuine guy with immense knowledge. I was able to reach out to him when I was at a pretty low point in, in my life and uh, he gave me so much um, feedback. It just made me feel good. Do you know what I mean? Um, so just genuinely, Alan, whatever about coming on the podcast, I like, just thank you so much. Oh, yeah, help in my own personal life. Uh, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. And just thanks for being a friend and being at the end of the phone if I if I needed to need any help. So generally, thank you so much. On all points, it's an honor, Andy. Thanks. Excellent. Well, look, on that note, uh, this has been your podcast, episode eight. Uh, you can check it out on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. The website is urbangym.ie. The videos and the catch-up for this show and all the other shows and all the behind the scenes stuff and all the recipes and everything else check out the Urban Gym YouTube channel uh, our thanks to Alan Desmond much appreciate the time uh, on, a, on a Saturday evening in particular uh, Andy Alan we'll talk to you again soon thank you for listening good luck your stories your passion this this is your podcast Subscribe today on all good platforms. There you go. The crossover episode. The CSI of the... I don't know, Canon Food Podcast side of things. I hope you enjoyed the chat. Uh, you can uh, check out uh, devongutclinic.com, uh, which will give you an idea as to what Alan is up to and uh, all of that kind of thing. It's Dr. 
Alan Desmond on Instagram will get you his uh, his Instagram account of profile. Uh, he's got live videos. He's got uh, highlights of interviews, chats from other podcasts, that kind of thing. Uh, and there's loads to there's loads to follow up on. We we might catch up again in a couple of weeks and go through some notes. I've, I have a feeling, and you might get the the gist from listening to that podcast that I may be about to get put through my paces on a whole foods plant based approach to nutrition. But we'll see. It'll take an awful lot to twist my arm. We'll see what happens. In the meantime, I hope that you're keeping well. Thank you very much for taking the time to have a listen out to uh, the podcast for this time. If you'd like to get in touch, if you have a story that you would like to share, uh, or in particular, if you're getting ready to get back into business and try and get back into the swing of things, uh, or indeed if you've adapted your business and made that kind of quote-unquote pivot uh, to something new on the food side, I'd love to hear your story. You can email me at any time. It's kenakenonfood.com. You can DM me on Twitter and Instagram or Facebook. Check out Ken on Food. Uh, until the next time, thank you very much for listening, and good luck. That's it. Take it easy.